Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. Today on Empower Talks, I'm delighted to have Paolo Cumo with us. And if you are interested in innovation, chances are you've heard of Paolo. He has founded lots of the key initiatives around the insurance market, which he's going to talk to us about today. I met Paolo through the WCI and he's an active committee member of iWIN. So we'll also talk about our experiences with the WCI and how it supports those working in the market. Welcome, Paolo. I'm so pleased to see you here today. It's been a little while since we've caught up, so I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. Looking forward to it as well. Delighted to be speaking. Well, we've got a good few topics on our list today. Um, I haven't given them all to you in advance, so uh, for the benefit of the listener, um, Paolo's involved in a lot of things around the market. Um, His role at the time of recording is Director of uh, Operations at at Brit, but he's going to tell us more about that. Um, during the conversation. Um, But he's involved in a diverse portfolio of things around the market, I think it's fair to say. Absolutely. Well, it's there's one of one of the joys of the, the, the London insurance market is that, you know, not only are there an awful lot of things going on that one can get involved in, but also that physical proximity that that we have means that it's just it's just so fantastic that you can sort of get together and discuss people um things with people in person you know whether it's over a, a coffee in the middle of the day or an event at the end of the day or breakfast at the start of the day i think those people who have only ever grown up in the london insurance market don't realize how unique it is and how lucky they are compared to almost any other industry that ability to sit with um, with colleagues and with peers from a range of organisations, um, you know, with a hundred yard walk. Let's let's build on that perspective as a starting point because I'm always interested to know about how people got into insurance um, in terms of understanding the routes that are available, but then also how we widen those routes as well. So, what was your journey into insurance, and and what makes you so grateful to be working in it? So I think, as we all joke, there's sort of two two routes to insurance. One is because um, your aunt or uncle was in insurance, and um, that sounded kind of something interesting to 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 do, or you fall into it entirely by accident. And I was definitely the the second of those. I spent the the first ten years of my career as a management consultant, working in a range of industries, but not financial services. So. I spent time optimising bread production at a supermarket and working out how the the police force could better procure computers, all sorts of things. And then when I decided I wanted to change, um, something that involved getting on fewer aeroplanes every week, um, I looked at a whole range of jobs. And the the one that intrigued me most, not frankly because it was in insurance, but um, because of just the the nature of the role, was, um, was a role at Beasley one of the um, the insurance companies here in EC3 in central London. And so I, I joined that, frankly, not understanding much about insurance beyond what I knew as a, as a customer of personal line insurance. So um, it, was a, it was a fascinating role, but in parallel to the specific job I needed to do, building a, a change function, operations function, was learning all about what commercial specialty insurance is and you know how unique it is as a as an industry frankly yeah excellent and so you spent uh, a good few years at Beasley developing kind of experience and uh, expertise within your role um and I, I think it's probably fair to say outside in it looks like you kind of fell in love with operations absolutely well I think I think the world is made up of, of, of two groups of people, those who love operations and those who can't possibly understand how people could love operations. And um, I think you, you probably, even if you don't start off your career as an operations person, as and when you become one, you sort of look back and probably realize you've been destined for it since, since you were a toddler. You know, you were the, 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 the person who sorted the blocks quite happily into different colors or, you know, made sure that your pencils were always sharpened at the end of each day before going to bed. Um, so, yes, yeah, so... Uh, um, operation, then operations in in the London insurance market is, is is fascinating because you've sort of absolutely got the the ability to to both do what I call BAU operations, make sure the widgets are, are being produced, make sure the wheels are churning, make sure that um, what's required by the underwriters, the brokers, the, the claims adjusters, whoever it might be, is happening smoothly. 
but also the the change side of operations, transformation, you know, sort of all these buzzwords like um, digital transformation, etc. And the, the joy of many of the the companies in this market being relatively small is it's it's possible for you to be involved both in the BAU day-to-day operations and on the change side. Often, if you're part of a far larger organisation, you end up having to do one or the other. But it's so easy for um, for, for someone who's got both a, a, a sort of standard operations role also to get involved in transformation and change. And change, I think, is the bit that you're um, certainly what I know you for. Um, so I guess if we give a bit of context to the, the listener as to um, how we've come to, to meet, and um, I know we've certainly spoken mostly through the WCI, although I've come across your name before that. Um, so we met through the Virtual Company of Insurers. We're both uh, members, uh, free men, free, free women within insurance. I think a few people have heard me talk about it a little bit. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, do go back and have a listen to the episode uh, with Nick Dunlop because um, we talk about what the WCI is a little bit more there. Um, but I think we're both very involved. So a lot of people kind of join, I think, the WCI and look, look see how they can support the market in something that aligns with their, their passion. And, um, and, and that's something you've found. So do you want to talk us through your journey of joining the WCI and uh, how that's developed for you? Absolutely. And, you know, as with so many things, sort of you, it's only when you sort of look back, you realize, uh, you know, quite what an interesting path was. And, um, and I guess before I start, I just reiterate your point. I think that the conversation with Nick that you had um, in, in, in the summer was, um, was the perfect introduction to, to people. So if at the end of this, they're, they're more confused and clear, then they should go back and listen to that. Nick, is um, is going to be the the upcoming master of the WCI and therefore speaks from a, a fantastic position of of knowledge as to what it's trying to do as an organisation. So I guess um, my my first exposure to WCI actually I didn't even realise that was what I'd being exposed to and it was a good gosh uh, ten years or so ago where I was invited to some summer drinks by by someone and as a, a, a good member of the London insurance market I was never going to say no to um, some drinks on a, a July evening and it in fact took place on the upper terrace of the, the Willis building. Now many of us have been lucky enough to go to the, the middle terrace of the Willis building, that's sort of relatively common but it, it, it takes a special invite to get all the way to the top so um, that was a, it was fantastic and up there and this was before the lights of the scalpel and the the cheese grater had been built so this was a, a one of the tallest buildings in the area um, on a July evening as the, um, the sun was going down sort of canapes and drinks and conversation with the, the good and the great in the insurance market and that sort of struck me as a kind of like oh wow I was lucky to get an invite but I'm not quite sure this is a, a world I fit into so I sort of parked it aside for a number of years um, and actually it was a um, uh, only just a couple of years ago that um, Elaine Mason mentioned to me the, uh, the WCI again that she was involved in. And I said, oh, you know what? Actually, tell me more. And what's intriguing is that, you know, there's, a, there's several hundred um, members, free, freemen or liverymen, as we call them, WCI. And I think none of them can, none of them would quite explain it in the same way. And that I find a point of richness, not a point of problem. Um, and so therefore, you know, uh, digging into it, um, also speaking to one of the past masters, a gentleman called Terry Masters, um, I realised, okay, this is this is a group of people who are pulled together by their their common interest um, and exposure to insurance, but actually we're very different. And you know, I've I've worked in a number of companies in 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 the London market that have um, had you know different personalities, different type of people, different cultures, different styles. And that's always been fascinating. But you know, inevitably, when you work in a company, you've got similar-ish type people. And, and the people I met sort of early on when I was understanding more about WCI were all so different, in a, in a, again, in a very positive way, and all um, involved sort of for, for different reasons, but fundamentally for um, this sort of phrase of fellowship and, uh, you know, a common view of sort of the philanthropic possibilities of um of the organization and so i said well actually yeah i'd um you know i'd like to know a bit more went along to some of the events and again that's that is what is 
is great about WPI. There's a whole range of events. There's events that are primarily sort of knowledge sharing events, as you can similarly get through, say, the CII or some of the events, Sam, that, that you run. The other end of the spectrum, there were purely social events, um, which, again, there's a whole load of ways to go and have a drink in a bar or at the, uh, the, the, the top of the Willis Building or whatever. Um, but the WCI seemed to sort of wrap all these together with um, the ability to sort of meet the same set of people every time you went to an event but there was always um, you know someone sort of slightly new or slightly different and and I found that a, fa a fascinating sort of complement to the people I was working um, was meeting in the context of my day job um, and then as I sort of dug in more and realized okay from the the, the sort of phil philanthropy side um, there's a whole range of charities that are supported um, by the WCI. Um, having spent time um, as uh, working sort of with local Rotary clubs for many years before I was in London, um, you know that was always something that I see as a, a, you know, we almost sort of, to my mind, have an obligation as, as successful professionals to to find time to get involved in that type of thing, and the WCI seemed to be doing it in a, a very effective manner. And then the sort of final dimension, I guess, was the the role it plays in in sort of the, the civic society almost of, of, of the Corporation of London, of the City of London. And again, you know, Nick and others have articulated this far better the, than I could. Though it is worth saying, as we record this um, in, in mid-September, just a few days after the, the death of the Queen, that um, members of the, the WCI, along with all the other worshipful companies, um, of, of in, um, in in the city have been you know so involved in a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of overlap between members of worshipful company and common councillors of the, the city of London, and it all just this this intrigued me and made me realise that there's much more than just the nine to five of going to work um, in in an insurance company. Um, so yes, I've I've probably managed to to get quite excited there without actually being any clearer than than people were going in but essentially it's a, an organization where a diverse group of us can get together in a multitude of different ways um and you know have fun and do good frankly yeah no I'd, I'd echo all of that and I, I must say with the um a session of the, the king the announcement outside the royal exchange though I, I was sort of watching that on on tv and so shocked, albeit I probably shouldn't have been in reality, but shocked to be like, oh look, there's there's Erin, there's, there's David, there's Jeanette, and, and I'm thinking, hang on, how do I know these people standing there? And I did actually see um, Erin just a few days ago, and I said, I was so excited to know someone that's there, I can't even imagine how honoured you must have been to, to be the person there, you know, so um, I think it's, it's amazing how the WCI can kind of connect you with the city, and then once you understand that sort of... Um, function I guess of the city rather than it being a postcode you know what actually goes on within it from a sort of civic perspective to, to connect so many dots that were right in front of you but you didn't really know were there and um, so yeah I think it's you know very sort of special special moment to see, see it all linking up together Absolutely. yeah um, and there's one particular part of the WCI that you are um, heavily involved in uh, which is iWin. So do you want to tell us a little bit about iWin? Sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll talk about iWin. Maybe even before talking about it, just again in terms of sort of giving people context on the WCI, those those of us as members who want to be more involved than simply attending events, you know, typically align ourselves to to, to one of sort of the many committees or roles. And there's a, there's a whole range of those, some focused more on sort of the, the social and fellowship aspect, some more on sort of the, the educational informational aspect. Um, some on the, the charity side. Um, IWIN, which stands for Insurance Women Inclusivity Network, is, um, is focused really on sort of the uh, attracting and supporting women into the, uh, the insurance market. Um, and we sort of look at that at a, uh, across the UK in some ways, but essentially because of our very sort of London-centric presence, it tends to be the, the London insurance market. And, and I guess to some extent, we're thinking diversity in its broadest sense. But, um, you know, certainly we see the opportunity to, to, to uh, offer a range of different support to women in the market, both you know, attracting them in the first place, 
you know, generally the London market needs to, to do a, a, a or not, doesn't need to, but would benefit from doing a better job of attracting a, a broader range of people in. And there's all sorts of ways of doing that. So we have initiatives there, outreach initiatives to, um, to sort of uh, A-level um, level students, to graduates and things, right through to those who join the market, but are looking for um, ways to sort of understand more than what they're just learning in the context of, of their exact job, through to... Um, you know some of those those challenging topics around uh you know how to how to build a network if the only people you know are the people you work with day to day and things and i think that i win which has um you know recently under uh claire's leadership has sort of gone through a bit of a rejuvenation over the last sort of 12 or 18 months um is is trying to hit all those points so we're doing work with um bay's business school to to sort of support people at the undergraduate and the a level side we're doing a, a, a number of events um uh, for people who may be in the market for sort of three or four years and are trying to understand you know what does it mean to find a mentor what is a you know what's the value of networking and how to do that effectively especially if you're a type of person where the term networking just makes you go cold yeah it's like right how can we create an environment um to to sort of help people a little bit with that we're doing them both in person we're doing them um uh, online as well so i think i win is is, is trying to offer support to you know any woman in the in the insurance market who's looking for something to help develop their career we've got a, a good diverse um committee diverse from a gender point of view from an age point of view from an experience and background point of view um we're always looking for for people who want to get involved and the, the the sort of the the membership process of the WCI entirely appropriately sort of has a, a, a degree of sort of checks and balances as, as people apply to be members. Um, in terms of IWIN, the first step is people just to go to the IWIN website and sign up to a mailing list, and then they're sort of implicitly members at that point and can attend most of the events with absolutely no obligation and no cost. Um, and there is you know absolutely a route um, through IWIN for people who then want to get to know the WCI better. Um, and, you know, we've had a, a lot of WCI members who sort of first learnt about it in the context of IWIN. Um, but also IWIN offers the possibility of people just to, to relate to IWIN, to do IWIN events and to get value from that without needing to engage in the broader WCI. Yeah, and I think um, it's a nice diverse selection of events that you, you, you are running. I guess it loops quite nicely to your first introduction of the WCI that you've got the summer party coming up Um not long after we've recorded this episode. So very much looking forward to an in-person event. Um, so actually, I think the last in-person event I went to for IWIN was at HDI, and it was a speed mentoring one um, that Claire had introduced before she was chair of IWIN. And it's kind of, again, gone full full um, circle by the time we've back through COVID that it's um, in HDI's new offices on their roof terrace, um, not quite as high up as Willis's, but um, beautiful roof terrace um, and new offices they've got there. So, yeah, really looking forward to that one. So if we go back into more about your role um, and, and what your, your, your the day job might be for you. And um, I've got to just point out an observation here, Paolo, because I like, I'd look through your LinkedIn and just see where your um, background was before your current role and so on. You have one of the most polished LinkedIn accounts I've ever seen it's made me think that I need to really go and improve mine and um, so uh, I, I, we've talked about LinkedIn on this podcast a few times if anyone's listening and, and that's uh, you want an example of a good LinkedIn profile absolutely go and look at Paolo's because his experience is um, so well demonstrated but also illustrated through um, attached articles under all of the roles that you've had which I didn't even know you could do I think I uh, I find I find LinkedIn so valuable. I think you know you mentioned of course that you you went to look at it to find out a bit more about me. I um I use it before almost every meeting I have with people that I don't know. Well frankly people who I do know but either can't remember or maybe the the previous meetings have been sort of a, about very specific topics and now it's more of a just sort of catch up with them. Um you know, it's yeah, it's cliche to say that the better you know someone, the the better the meeting can go. Um, but but I do believe that's true, and I think yeah, again, we have this advantage in in our market here that 
you know, most people have bounced around through a, a few different roles, and there's almost certainly some commonality there. Not not of people you you might know so much as actually organisations you might have um, sort of worked in at, at different points and things. And knowing that can add a real richness of conversation, um, and therefore a, a you know a strengthening of the the commonality you find with people. So I would encourage people, you know, not only to make sure they're they're doing a good job of sort of selling themselves so to speak on their LinkedIn profile um, because you know it's not it, it's not a case of the only time it's relevant is when you're looking for your next job I think you know it's relevant every time you're having a meeting with someone that you don't know particularly well who may be going there to look up a bit about you so I'd encourage people to to use it well um, uh, write about themselves well and also to make sure they're looking up the people they're spending um, their time with to, to see what they have in common. Well, one thing that's very clear from your experience, which I wasn't surprised to see, um, is how involved you are in innovation, not just within your current role, um, but as well as um, ensure tech and initiatives around the market. So um, can you tell us, essentially, where your interest first came from with that? Um, and a, sort of more about, I guess, where we are in the journey at the moment. I think it's fair to say from our conversations, you're a forward thinker with innovation and um, so it's great to get your kind of perspective on on how far you think we've come and how long we've got to go sure absolutely um i mean this this sort of goes all the way back to to who i was sort of growing up and the nature of the degree i did and you know my, my focus has has really always been that question of how can we how can we use technology to more successfully run a, a business or an industry and this isn't about sort of out there cutting edge technology so later on if we have a moment we can touch on what I've been doing in quantum computing but it's more about you know sort of proven technologies and how can they be used better and that's what I did in in sort of non-insurance in in some of my previous bits of my career but then coming into the London market and looking at you know the incredible strength and innovation when it came to the core underwriting you know We've been saying that for over 300 years, the London market has been innovating. If we actually expand that sentence, what we've been doing is we've been innovating in underwriting products. You know, we have not been innovating when it comes to the, the use of technology to run operations and to do data analytics and things. We're a, an absolute laggard. So, yeah, it's been thrilling over the sort of last decade and a bit. And I guess equally as thrilling, it's been frustrating to... Um, to say, okay, this is what we're trying to do as an insurance industry. This type of technology could help. This type of technology has been proven in a bunch of other industries. So, you know, why don't we, uh, why don't we make use of it? And, you know, if I sort of think of uh, specific things, back in 2015, 2016, um, I set up an organization called Instech London, now called Instech. Um, and what we were doing then, a number of us, we were saying, okay, there's this whole fintech revolution. We all sort of have, have heard that that buzzword. You know, it was the 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 big buzzword of the time. And um, when it came to what was going on in insurance, it was simply branded fintech in insurance. And if you went along to a fintech event, there'd be 25 incredible startups in the payment space or other bits of banking or whatever it might be. And then some poor lost soul, you know, typically a, a sort of ex-actuary who would come on the stage last and try and sort of pitch their startup idea about uh, in the insurance space. And by then, no one would be interested because they were all getting excited about the sort of the, the next digital wallet or cryptocurrency or whatever it was. So one of the reasons that we set up Instate London was to give a platform for the innovation discussion in insurance and this was you know this was before we had heads of innovation or chief innovation officers or anyone like that and it's been intriguing to see over the last sort of seven years how innovation in technology innovation has gone from being something that sort of no one cared about to to something that's having you know an awful lot of investment in it and pretty much every firm be it a broker or an underwriter or whoever it might be has now got a chief innovation officer head of innovation etc that's not just thinking about the product side 
ultimately innovative products is what's going to mean that the London insurance market always retains its sort of spot at the pinnacle of specialty insurance, but really pushing innovation in terms of how we do processes better, how we use data better, how we partner with startups better. Um, and I, you know, I strongly believe that that's, that's vital. I th also believe that on the whole, we're not doing it as well as we might. Um, and, you know, there's a whole variety of reasons. We could probably spend a whole episode talking about the challenges of sort of change and digital transformation in the London market. But I think we're, we're at a point now where everyone believes in it. So the obstacle of belief has now been overcome, and therefore the obstacle becomes the practical one of, you know, how can we drive that change? And it's, it's one thing to drive change in a 100-person or a 1,000-person or a 10,000-person organization. The challenges we have is we're trying to drive it in a market made up of a hundred different organizations, the, um, you know, the, the, the carriers, the brokers, the, um, the, the, the various associations and things. And, you know, we, we talked, Sam, before we started recording around future at Lloyd's. And I think, you know, there's awful, awful lot of people who, you know, want to sort of decry the, the slow speed and the high cost of future at Lloyd's, etc. Um, but essentially the challenge that we've got as a market is not just to, to draw out a blueprint. We've done that and it's clear and a lot of smart people have put a lot of effort into that. We've now got to drive that through a range of organizations where there's no single CEO, where some of them are 100 people, some of them are 10,000 people, some of them have fantastic flexible IT, some of them have legacy systems, some of them can are used to writing business cases that take five or eight years to pay off, some of them are much more, okay, we don't invest in stuff unless we're getting a quick return. So I think it's incredibly challenging, but, you know, we, we, we need to do it. There is, there is no point continuing to be seen as, as true innovators in the product space if actually it then becomes so difficult for um, our clients and our global brokers to work with our market that, um, that they just get put off. Um, and, you know, I, my, my challenge out to, to my colleagues and my peers and everyone in the market who, you know, likes sort of throwing sticks and stones at how slow and how expensive things are is, you know, if, they, if we all got on side and pushed together, we'd probably get there sooner. So something that, that's on my mind, probably quite, quite a lot, because I do a lot of training on um, Lloyd's, history of Lloyd's, and I'll show people pictures of Lloyd's. Sometimes we even do tours of Lloyd's and we're like, this is how it works on the underwriting floor. And then I catch myself kind of almost wanting to say, at the moment, because <laughs> it just feels like it, it, we've shown that we don't need to be in the underwriting floor. We've seen some people coming back and some people coming back and using it five days a week, but lots of people not. What's your view on how it might physically be impacted longer term? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It is intriguing. I'm sure if we all pull out, you know, what we were reading and writing um, and podcasting, you know, three or four years ago, it's a, you know, none of us could have predicted the, the 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 speed of at one level the speed of change that was necess necessitated by um, by the pandemic. Yeah, I, a, a couple of key thoughts, and we all know this, but I think we gloss over it sometimes, which doesn't do us any favours. Um, the range of insurance sold through through Lloyd's, you know, we sell tens of billions. Uh, Oh, rather, we underwrite tens of billions of, of, of dollars of premium every year. The range is huge, right? So a third of the business is what we call delegated business, which is essentially almost by definition always been done um, virtually. Um, you know, of, of what we then consider the sort of um, uh, open market business, you, we, we write an awful lot of stuff that does not require anyone really to talk to anyone else. Um, and, you know, the more that stuff gets put on, on portals or automated that, you know, everyone wins. You know, if you are underwriting the, the liability policy for an airline or if you're underwriting the, the construction risk of a, you know, of a new city in the Middle East or of a, you know, a stadium in, um, in an earthquake zone or something, the, that is a, a massive discussion. And, you know, the the idea that um, the, the people involved in that, and again, we always need to remember the nature of insurance means there has to just be trust at the heart of it, because you can't capture every aspect of, of the intent in a contractual document. So you need to have the, the insured, um, the, 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 the client, the broker, the, the underwriter, they all need to 
to to to really sort of be able to look each other in the eye, both um, sort of physically and metaphorically speaking. Um, so that business will always need to be done face to face. Now, whether it needs to be done in the room at Lloyd's, or whether it needs to be done, you know, in a in a in a hotel lobby at Heathrow Airport, or um, you know, in an office in in Minnesota, that's by the by. But there will always be that chunk of business um, that needs to be done. And I think um, the question therefore needs to to less be do we need to do face-to-face business? And the question needs to be, how can we make sure that we're doing face-to-face business only where it needs to be done? Um, and if we, you know, if we say, well, that's a smaller percentage than has historically been done because, you know, it was just easy to, to just sit at the, the, the box all day, so to speak, when that's what everyone had been doing for decades, um, I think we'll find that there will still be brokers walking around EC3 to speak to underwriters you know, they may do it in their own offices because they don't need to go and sit in the room at Lloyd's. It may be that we have a model that seems to be sort of the, the, the current one that we're moving to where, you know, certain classes on certain days are going to be in, 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 in Lloyd's and stuff. Um, we also need to realize that the symbolism of the room is something that no one's going to want to get rid of anytime soon. And so therefore, you know, if we're sitting here in 20 or 30 years time looking back at that there's no... Um, there's no room at the centre of Lloyd's and it's done differently, I'm sure someone will cleverly say, oh, well, you know, we should have stopped doing that five or ten years earlier. Look, it's all worked fine. But the reality is if people have worked in a certain way of working for a long time, let them carry on how they're doing it. We, we, We misunderstand, I think, in any change management exercise, the emotive nature of it. And we always say that that's sort of daft, irrational behaviour. But... You know, we, we're humans, we're creatures of habit, we have our, our idiosyncrasies. And um, for someone to come out with a document that says, look, you know, doing all business, sitting at a box at the centre of Lloyd's is, you know, illogical and not financially optimal, therefore we need to change, misses the whole human element. So I think um, we, will, we will see face-to-face business ongoing for the business that needs it. We'll see portals and automation taking on a lot of the business and I think almost more importantly than the role of the room at the centre of Lloyd's is the role of EC3 at the, the centre of London because that ability of a, a, a broker to only need to walk 100 yards to see five different underwriters whether he or she's going to the room at Lloyd's or you know walking to the cheese grate or the scalpel or the um, the walkie-talkie building is that that's what makes London special I remember sitting in Zurich um, a few years back um, talking about how we were driving in the sort of the insure tech revolution in London and one of the senior underwriters came to me after and he said I you know I don't get how you can get all these people together for these events and for these discussions Paolo that you know that that can't happen in Zurich people won't do that and you know I thought about this and realized whether it's Zurich or New York or, or the Middle East we just don't, nowhere else has that culture of everyone walking over to speak to people face to face. And yet we can laugh about whether or not it's appropriate for that to include drinking beer at lunchtime in the Leadenhall Market. But the, the point is people are getting together and that is unique to London. And that uniqueness is something we need to hold on to because there is genuine business value from it. No, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you say. You say it in a really insightful way. Um, and then my, my kind of question becomes, well, if we're not using all of the floor, what happens to the floor? Um, you know, and, and, so, and, and so my ha- answer to you, Sam, is you, 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 would, you would more easily get a view out of, out of most people on, on, on the future of Lloyd's than you will ever do on, on record for um, the, the, the future role of, of the room. That's uh, uh, about as emotive and contentional as it'll ever get. But I'll, show, I'll share with you some of my things I'd oh, like to see. You can do that. Go for Let's it. Let's do that. Um, so, I mean, one of the things while we're doing this podcast is a podcast room. Now, I've looked, because we're doing this on Zoom, I'd love to do it in person. I've looked at rooms that you can hire to do podcasts, um, and there's nothing based the right side of the river that would inconvenience people enough to be like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'll do this, and I'll travel over there to do it. But how many podcasts have we got going around the market? Okay, so if we had sort of spaces that were set up for the way that we are working together, where we, we almost can benefit, almost like a we work sort of benefits that we can share across the market and, um, and essentially have people paying and contributing to things like that 
I, I, I feel like, you know, if I was to say, yeah, we're going to record this podcast and it's going to be, you know, one X floor of Lloyd's, we'd be like, yeah, brilliant, no problem. And so I feel like we've probably got ways that we can utilise that space, so thinking think, outside uh, of just underwriting. No, no, you're, you're mm. absolutely right. And I guess that, so, um, you know, I, I, I don't know the latest thinking on this, but there have been some really excellent discussions going on on that topic. So I think the, you know, what do we do with the, the, the sort of the core trading floor? you know, is a very big and obviously somewhat emotive conversation. How can we sort of effectively use gallery three and four and the like, which are obviously, um, you know, less relevant given that, you know, we're, we're, we're simply not using all the box space at the same time. That I think there's some quite exciting ideas coming out from Lloyd's. And um, I think, you know, people who haven't been there for, for the last year or two, in fact, if they went and looked at um, some of that, uh, I can't remember now, Gallery 3 or Gallery 4, there has been some space change there. Now, I don't know if there's a soundproofed room, um, but there's certainly, um, I think, uh, an appetite for that kind of thinking. Um, and, and, you know, maybe this is a good moment to touch on Lloyd's Lab, because if I think, so I was involved in the initial sort of design of that in 2018, um, working with um, with Boston Consulting Group, with uh, L. Marks, the sort of the innovation team that has been of running it with Lloyd for the last few years and with Trevor Maynard who's who's now left um, this all predated Ed Gates who of course was the first and incredibly successful Lloyd's lab manager who's, who's recently moved on to another role but part of what we we would the discussions we had there was about space where to use it where should it be what should it look like and you know and then again this stuff feels odd to this in, in hindsight but at the time there was a very real discussion about whether it even needed to be in Lloyd's because you know people like Aviva were building their or had built their Aviva garage over in Hoxton because that was cool you could have sort of concrete walls and people not wearing ties and stuff like this and we made a very active decision and I, I remember writing these lines in, in, in the formal proposal that said the Lloyd's labs needs to be contiguous to the trading floor because we need to minimize the barriers for the underwriters and the brokers to want to engage with the startups that we're going to put there. And, you know, and whilst it's now just by nature of how things have worked out, you sort of basically have to take the lift to get to, to that bit of Gallery 4, um, that doesn't matter because um, for those first two critical years, you could walk all the, all, all the way through from the escalators. You, know, you could go up and round and we had signage that took people there because we realised the, the importance of getting innovation at the heart of the business that you wanted to change. And we always knew that it would be a slow change. Um, but if we'd required, um, you know, sort of underwriters or brokers who wanted to engage with the Lloyd Lab to, you know, walk 500 yards, cross the river, get in a cab, whatever it might have been, then the engagement would have been infinitely less. Mm. And by, by putting it there, by making it look different, but still Lloyd's, by um, yeah, the, the, the whole way it was run, that I think was a, uh, did an excellent job of, of bringing the, the lab both sort of physically and sort of emotionally and mentally up to the heart of where the market's going yeah no that I, I completely agree with that idea as soon as if we, like you say we're used to walking 100 yards as soon as you're expected to walk I mean <laughs> certain buildings that I can remember walking to they're just you know the, the wrong side of um, St Paul's you think oh really all the way over there <laughs> no <laughs> it's mad isn't it because on a weekend I'd be walking all through London um, quite happily but during the week it's just not normal for us um, now I mentioned at the beginning you're transitioning into a new role do you want to tell us about what the um, the, the new position's looking like for you by the time this is released I think you'll be in that new role so Absolutely. hopefully you can talk about it yeah so, so transitioning from the, the direct operations role at Brit which you know has been a fantastic role for the last three years to, to my earlier point both you know running um, you know yeah, very effective business as usual functions and working on sort of some of those key digital transformation questions both linked to future at Lloyd's but also internally to to where we've been taking Brit over the last few years. Um, the new roles with Gallagher so I'm flipping from the, the carrier side to the broker side, which is, you know, it's always quite exciting to, to, to go and effectively look at the world through a completely different lens. Um, and yes, that's working with the, um, the sort of analytics and advisory team there. Uh, and yeah, the, we can have a, another conversation in six months' time, maybe where I can sort of share more specifics. But, uh, you know, at, at, at the heart of, what the insurance industry needs to do for its clients to, to continue to remain relevant is to 
help those clients understand risk better. Because at the end of the day, and again, you know, this is one of those, those, those cliches, right? But, but clients don't want, they don't simply want to check when something goes wrong, right? What they want is they want to try and avoid things going wrong in the first place um, to, to, you know, really get that sort of full um, risk management, risk mitigation type service, which who is better to provide that than the insurance industry? You know, whether on the broker side or on the carrier side, at the heart of what we do is we understand the risk because by understanding the risk, we can work out the right price in order to to be able to transfer that that risk away from the insured. But the the, the work we need to do, the insight we need to develop to understand the nature of that risk is infinitely valuable in helping the client um, reduce that. And I think, you know, that's that's been true forever, frankly. And, you know, there's the, the, the sort of, classic examples that come out about um, you know, fire sprinklers in, in, in New York apartment blocks 100 years ago and stuff like that. But you know, most recently, I guess, it's with areas such as um, cyber insurance. You know, crude, crudely speaking, you know, when, when cyber insurance first came out, it was like, oh, if you have a data breach or a cyber attack, you know, you'll get a check from your insurer. That was whatever it was 15 years ago. Um, and what's happened since then is the the move from just offering a check to offering a, a, a sort of post-event service to really help um, a, a company that's had a cyber attack to where we are now, which is sort of pre-event risk reduction. That um, that helps place the insurer as the true sort of partner of risk management, the, sorry, the insurance industry as the true partner of risk management rather than um, simply the, the person who pays the check when something goes wrong. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to absolutely to what we'll be doing, um, you know, in that in the broader sense at Gallagheria over the next few years. I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. Um, well, we always wrap up these podcasts with uh, a piece of advice. So um, one of your top tips that you give to people looking to advance their careers or make the most out of their careers in insurance. So what's sort of your, your top piece of guidance? So this will be one that that your listeners have, have heard several times, um, but I think it, it always bears repeating, which is around you know building the connections, building the the, the network, and you know the headline that's um, you know that's not new and it's not necessarily particularly actionable. So you know maybe to to dig into it a bit, I think. Remember that what I've said already about the uniqueness of this market, you know, it's it, it's possible to sign up for events. So many of them are free events, breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, and, and go to them to meet people. Um, if you're someone who doesn't like networking, then it's all the more reason to do it, frankly, because if you sort of like that stuff, you don't see it as a bird and you just you just get into it. If you're the type of person who thinks I would really far prefer to go home or go to the gym or go to my netball training, than um, than to to go to a, an iWin social event or whatever it might be, then um, I encourage you to, you know, sort of write it on your to-do list in the in the same way as you'd write other necessary but slightly painful tasks, because um, you know you if you like this industry and you're in it in five, ten, fifteen, twenty years time, and you sort of do a little bit of compounding analysis and you sort of think about okay the the five people I meet now will introduce me to 10 people in the next six months will introduce me to another however many and you realize that those connections beyond your current employer that you're making now that you know at the the start or middle of your career are going to be yeah the, the the links that then help you you know find the new role at some point in the future or you know give you advice when something's proving to to be a challenge in 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 a number of years time so um if if you don't do it naturally put it on your your to-do list as a, a necessary um evil and um and also realize that there's a whole bunch of different ways to network don't just think it's sort of you going along on your own to some event you know you can um, you can do it with uh, with friends and colleagues. You can do it virtually online. You mentioned earlier, Sam, around the events that iWin run and um, both physical and virtual networking. So I guess do that. Make the most of it because um, it's critical for anyone in any role in any industry. But it's it's doubly so when you have the advantage that you do of, of if you're working here in central London. Yeah, 
it reminds me of a quote I often um, refer back to because um, it, it's so many journeys in my own life. I look at it. Steve Jobs, he used to say, you can only connect the dots when you look back. So people say, well, how come you got invited to talk on that panel? And you're like, well, because I spoke to so-and-so who I'd met at that event. And I was at that event because I'd been to this one. And that was because I went for a coffee with that one. And by the time you track it back, it's probably just initially just this very small bubble of initial connections that just open up so much more for you over time. Absolutely. And I think um, I've, I've, I've heard people who sort of what they do is they almost do their, their annual retrospective. You know, you, we, we almost all, or I hope everyone who's listening, uh, who's em, employed by a company, goes through some form of sort of performance appraisal and things. And to, to some extent, um, you know, they can be useful in sort of forcing you to reflect a little bit on how you've done against your work objectives and hearing from your, your boss and maybe a 360 or whatever about what other people think about you. But very few people look beyond you know what's the objectives on um you know linked to what they're supposed to be doing for their boss it's it's so smart people i've seen who essentially as well as their work objectives their core work objectives agreed with their boss they have a series of other points underneath ones that that they've decided to to do so it may be you know to to learn a bit more about x you know to meet this many more people to attend those kind of events to um you know and one very bold lady on you she essentially had a list of um 50 ways i'm going to feel uncomfortable this year um oh, and that. it was it was brilliant and you know i i think frankly all of us should do that because however well we're doing and however bold we are none of us are quite pushing the boundaries as much as we might because of our our, our you know natural avoidance and, and and it's very easy you know someone like myself who's now been in career I guess I'm in my third decade or however one counts it you know you sort of feel that you've you've achieved enough that why do you still need to to move outside your comfort zone because you kind of argue that your comfort zone is pretty darn big so that's probably okay um, and that's fine you know there's frankly none of us ever need to step out of our comfort zone if we don't want to you know we have the luxury of of you know being you know earning well in a uh, uh, you know in a successful country but I would imagine the type of people who are listening to your podcast Sam are the type of people who do want to um, not just progress as a result of how the world around them progress, but they want to push themselves. And therefore, if you're looking back at the end of the year and there is no point or not many points where you've pushed yourself outside your comfort zone, you've probably done yourself a disservice because we all know you have to be a heck of a lot of a way outside your comfort zone to, to truly tumble. Um, so yeah, maybe there's a whole other conversation on that, you know, starting the whole conversation of, of comfort zones and where we should place ourselves in the in the last, you know, 30 seconds is, is probably inefficient. But I, I look forward maybe to continuing that. Absolutely. Comfort zones, stretch zones and panic zones. That's the way I articulate it. Perfect. Spend um, time in the stretch. If, if, could, I, could I just touch, in case it's interesting for, for your audience, just on a couple of other sort of uh, initiatives I'm working on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you, you introduced at the beginning that sort of there's a, I'm always up to a range of things. It's somewhat eclectic, I guess. So to your Steve Jobs quote, in, in some ways at some point, I'm sure I'll be able to join all the dots backwards. But yes, just in case any of these are, are interesting to your listeners, I guess the the first one um, is, is something called the, the City Quantum Summit. So I've been um, doing some work on quantum computing for the last few years, and I sort of won't, won't bore your listeners beyond the statement of, you know, it's a future technology that will be relevant sooner sooner than we think. Um, on the 11th of October, there is the, the City Quantum Summit, which is a, um, a discussion with sort of experts around the world about what quantum commuting means now for business. And very importantly, it's taking a business lens. It's not talking about the underlying technology or the scary physics or anything. Um, that, that, if, if, just, you know, getting involved in new tech was not enough to, to excite people. Um, it's taking place, it is online, but it's also taking place physically at the Mansion House. So if someone's not been to the Mansion House, it's a, a, a sneaky way to get a, a free trip in there. It's Very those, good. Yeah, for those who don't know, that's, that's right on Bank Junction and one of the, the really special bits of the city. So City Quantum Summit can be found online if anyone wants or drop me a, a link. Um, and there. when is it? Uh, 11th of October uh, in Excellent. the afternoon. Um, the the next one is uh, another technology, a, a much more down-to-earth technology called RPA, which stands for Robotic Process Automation. Uh, um, this is uh, there's an initiative being kicked off by um, one of my my colleagues uh, at Brit, 
um, Zia is um, looking to see, you know, who else cares about robotic process automation and wants to sort of just have some informal gatherings about it. It's a technology that basically links together different systems in a, a non-IT type way. And um, it's one of those things where most companies in in London, most insurance companies have got um, you know one or two people working on this, but on the whole, they don't know each other. So it feels like exactly the type of place where, hey, here's a great way out of, of nowhere to sort of create a network of people who will benefit from their knowledge. So if anyone's interested in RPA, then um, then let me know and I'll link you to Zia. Um, there's um, my there's an initiative my daughter's kicked off at the moment called Not Too Soon. Her thesis there is that. The investment decisions around green technology and how financial service companies, insurers, and etc., are engaging with climate change is, you know, basically incorrect and taken through a 20th century lens of just financial returns. Um, her argument is, given that you know this stuff is really about the future of society and our planet, that there ought to be a more holistic way of deciding what we invest in, what we insure, how we price. Um, and so if you know if anyone's knowledgeable or interested in that topic then I can can link them to her and then the final one I touched on this earlier it's something I created a few years back called Instech um, what Instech is doing or has done for a number of years is, is talked about sort of the the insure tech space and so anyone who's been interested in that has probably already come across Instech they run events and produce reports and things but um, a couple of the research analysts there are pushing two very interesting areas that I think are relevant for a lot of us. One is parametric insurance, where um, a chap called Henry Gale is really sort of driving the, the sort of the thinking there and trying to pull together all the different activities in the market. And then on the sort of ESG and sustainability side, and you know how the heck do insurers start to model that and get the right data? Uh, um, another of the young analysts there, um, Alice Medley, is pushing that and. Almost, I think pretty much every insurer and most of the brokers in the London market are actually corporate members already of Instech. So therefore, getting the reports and going to the events will typically be free for, for people, but they won't necessarily know that their their companies are members. So just if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, that sounds interesting, but I didn't know, either go to the Instech website or drop me a, a message and I'm more than happy to connect people. And we can include links to all of these in the um, notes um, um, section as well so people can find find them easily. Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. That's a nice way of linking up, actually. We've, we recently recorded an episode um, with Hayley Budd, who heads up innovation at Swiss Re um, now, and she talks a lot around parametrics too. So it's uh, all these topics are kind of coming together. Fantastic. I love it when that happens. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Paolo. It's been brilliant to speak to you. Um, and thank you for sharing all of these insights with our listeners. Thank you, Sam. Delighted to have done so. Mm-hmm.